Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Hello, everybody. Today, I'm here with Dr. Linda Bluestein, who is a doctor, author, and a podcaster. She's an anesthesiologist and an integrative medicine doctor who hosts the Bendy Bodies with Hypermobility MD podcast. And she is a known widely known specialist on, on Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Thank you for being here, Linda. Thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I, as you know, like to jump right into, um, right off the bat with imposter syndrome. And in your career, um, how, when and if and how have you experienced imposter syndrome? So I've had uh, a number of different segues in my career, and I definitely have encountered this quite a few times. Mm -hmm. I think probably the most remarkable times were when there's actually some hard evidence. So for example, when I took my boards or when I took the MCAT or, you know, any of those major testing um, events, especially when I took my anesthesiology boards. So Mm -hmm. I don't know about your residency program, but for us at, at Mayo Clinic, every year we took the boards as practice for then when you took it for real mm-hmm. after you finished your residency. And every time after any of those exams, I would go out into the lobby area or whatever, and I would hear people talking about questions on the test. Mm-hmm. And I would have to walk away and shut it out because I immediately would be thinking, oh my gosh, they're so much smarter than I am. They mm-hmm. got that right. I got that wrong. And it turned out on my anesthesia boards, I had one of the top scores like in the country. So Wow. That was definitely not true, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and 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 we knew that because at Mayo they they told you like exactly where you placed and everything. So yeah. it was, I didn't recognize it of course as imposter syndrome at mm-hmm. that time. I had no idea that there was a name for any of that, right. but I definitely experienced that um, quite early on in my career. Yeah, and I think we talk about this pretty frequently on the podcast about this comparison issue that is just so you have to have it in getting into medical school and going through medical school and residency, but it really kind of sets us up for this feeling like an imposter because you don't really know what people are thinking and if it's the same thing as what they're saying, (laughs) but it makes you feel like I had that same internal struggle, like, oh my gosh, like I don't know anything they're talking about. And I felt like I must be a real idiot. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing to me that's really um, significant is the male-female difference. Mm-hmm. So in my, in my experience, having worked in the operating room for over 20 years, my male colleagues in general, not always, but in general, tend to have much more bravado, tend to speak with much more um, you know, confidence and and sometimes I'd be like, wait, I just read a study about that and that's not what, the, or I just came back from a conference and that's not what they said. And I mean, there were times where I was like, I'm pretty sure that's completely wrong. But you know, if you say something with enough confidence, people believe you. Yeah, it's so true. I was actually just reading a book not that long ago and it talked about that exact concept where men in general, and this is completely complete generalities, but men in general need to be like, 10% sure about something before before saying it with like with like 100% confidence but women in general have to be like 110% sure or they yes. will not even mention it so that really explains why women have this you know increased risk of imposter syndrome because how right. often in life are you 110% sure about anything right i mean right. for me it's never so <laughs> right right and that's 
you hit the nail on the head. That is exactly what it is. I felt like if there was any room left for doubt, then I wouldn't say anything. Yeah. And and in medicine, there's always room for doubt. So it's exactly you know, it's uh, exactly especially if you're a perfectionist and have a you know a little bit of a type A type A tendencies, then you're always going to find doubt, even if it's barely there. Right. And, and you'll know that that what you do or don't know. Like it's a, it's like the Dunning Krieger curve. Are you? Familiar yes. with that? I might have mispronounced that, but I think that's so funny. And for people who don't know what that is, it's a curve that basically shows that if you don't have a lot of knowledge, you will have a high level of confidence. Mm-hmm. And as you gain more knowledge, you kind of lose confidence. And then at some point you get to where you have more knowledge and you start to gain confidence again. But I think that's a classic example of, and I'm not saying that my that my male colleagues were less intelligent than I am, but I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I bet that they said things that they were 10% sure of. Mm-hmm. And, and I just wouldn't do that. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. So when in your career did you um, add in the integrative medicine piece? So I, let's think back here a second. I, when I had my first, my second child, my first child, I'm sorry. When I had both of my children, I had um, some medical problems. I had some like postpartum thyroiditis and I ended up having echo, a bunch of echoes because they thought I had um, uh, atrial myxoma at one point and I, and I was having a lot of um, dysautonomia. So I don't know if you're, your listeners may or may not be familiar with that. So it's, it's dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So my heart rate would just race like crazy when I was pregnant. And so I ended up on beta blockers for both of my mm. pregnancies actually. And at that time, I started to read a lot more about non-anesthesia things, yeah. <laughs> and I started to get much more interested in, well, let's see, we have procedures and surgery, and we have conventional medicine, but what else is there? Mm-hmm. And I, especially after my second child, I was having difficulty getting the weight off, and so I started to eat more healthy, and I started to read a lot more, and I started to read a lot more nutrition literature and get really invested in getting healthy and not worrying about the number on the scale so much. Mm -hmm. And that's when I also really realized, because I was still working in the operating room at that time, people would be coming in for procedure after procedure after procedure. And so I would start asking them, you know, that surgery, would you do it again if you you could? Shocked how many times they said no. And do you ever ask them the reason about why they said no? That's a good question. Um, You know, sometimes I, sometimes I did, but but usually I was asking them these questions, I mean, for legitimate, you know, reasons. And, and it was, it was in, in the way of being able to take better care of them as a whole person. Mm-hmm. But as an anesthesiologist, generally speaking, you don't have a lot of time with each patient. Right. I mean, you're, you're expected to move very quickly. And it varied a lot by, at this point, um, when I was really starting to do this was when I, do, I was doing locum tenums. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, for people that don't know what that is, that's basically the way I describe it is substitute teaching yeah. for doctors. <laughs> that's a good description. Yeah. 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 So, I, so I would go into these different hospitals to do this. And speaking of imposter syndrome, this was a fantastic way for me to end my anesthesia career because I went from a group that was, um, you know, male dominated, very, um, a lot of the people in power were uh, not, did not hold favorable views towards females or Mm -hmm. towards females that had had children, especially and Mm -hmm. had a family. Um, I remember we had one woman interview with our group and 
we sat down to discuss her and the and the gentleman that we interviewed and the first comment was she's a childbearing age so we why would we even discuss her she's oh absolutely my not. gosh yeah yeah and that was just one of many many comments that were made and of course there were there were men in that group that were great Mm-hmm. But the ones that were in power at that time were the ones that were very misogynistic, very, mm-hmm. very misogynistic. In fact, I've been the um, recipient if, or the victim of, of also like sexual harassment, uh-huh. which that was many, many years ago. So at that time, I didn't even know the words for it. I didn't know the word misogyny yeah. until years later. It was like, oh, that's what that was. Um, so, so anyway, boy, I digressed from your question about how how, how I got interested interested in integrated medicine. Um, but I, I, I realized at that time and when I was working in the operating room that, that I had to help myself and that conventional medicine wasn't going to be able to completely help me because I have Ehlers-Danlos. So I, I was at a doctor's appointment. They told me that's what I had. And they literally said, but there's nothing you can do about it. So I left there feeling like, okay, now what? Well, yeah. I don't take no for an answer very easily. So I started doing lots and lots of research and going to meetings. And um, then, I, then I realized that integrative medicine is such a fantastic match for these conditions because they don't have a single pill or a single surgery or procedure that mm-hmm. that will fix the condition. So. Mm-hmm. That's really fascinating. And so you had a career change, obviously. And in that transition, did those imposter syndrome issues come up for you again? Definitely. So, so, so just to highlight the multiple times that I've experienced this, um, my very first job was I went from being a resident at Mayo Clinic to, to being the only anesthesiologist at a very, very small hospital. Mm, so wow. you go from being in this massive place with like 300 ORs to being by yourself with mm. supervising CRNAs, some of whom were, were men mm-hmm. and some of whom did not like the idea of having a woman working with a woman. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really challenging because people were still sick, you know? And so- my very, very first job was, was really, really hard. And I definitely experienced a lot of imposter syndrome then. Yeah. And then I went from that job. I did that for two years while my husband finished his residency. Then we moved um, to where we are now in Wausau, Wisconsin, and, and had um, my longest job. I was there for 14 years and, and definitely experienced that again. You know, mm-hmm. with, This was the group that was, like I said, male-dominated. Um, and and there are things that I would do differently. Certainly, if I could go back and do it over again, you, know, you don't. You're, when you're in it, you don't have the same perspective that right. you do afterwards, right? But but I definitely experienced um, imposter syndrome then also. And I think after for me after I had children, I was so focused on meeting their needs, and I wasn't taking care of myself, tending to myself. Right. And I think I lost a lot of confidence after I had my children. Mm-hmm. even though I was still an excellent anesthesiologist. I yeah. really was. And then I developed more serious medical problems. Finally ended up taking a leave of, ab- well, not a leave of absence. They said, no, we won't give you a leave of absence. And then I went back to work doing the locum tenums. And, and, and these hospitals were fabulously um, rewarding for me because I had a great relationship with the people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. They were very happy to have me, um, you know, because in the locum tenens world, the bar is a bit lower. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but they were, I was happy to accommodate their needs, which 
you know, they were very happy about, and it was a win-win. It worked out really well. So it was a great way to end my anesthesia career. So, so um, I was doing that and I developed a huge cyst inside one of the bones in my wrist. Aww. So I had bone grafting surgery. And after that, I had some complications. And so that's what led to the end of my anesthesia career. And then I, I got into uh, doing research about Ehlers-Danlos mm-hmm. and like I said, doing my own like mini fellowship basically. And I kept having people ask me, you know, where can I come see you? Where, where can I come see you? And I had to say, no, I don't have a place at, at first. And then eventually I found, um, I started working with Dr. Pradeep Chopra, who is kind of the world's expert in pain management and Ehlers-Danlos syndromes. And he said, you need to open a clinic. And I was like, uh, I mm-hmm. don't think I can do that. Mm-hmm. And, he, you know, we, we kept talking over, I'm not, I don't remember exactly how long the period of time was, but he said, I will help you. And, and he was helping me. And um, I was learning so much. And then, and then he said, well, I think you're ready. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready, you know, (laughs) and, but I, but I realized as I was, as I continued to get this influx of messages from patients, I realized that there were people who were suffering so badly that it would be more wrong to not give it a shot Mm -hmm. than to say, no, I need to learn more or, and that's why, and, and, and that's in part why. I only see patients on a very part-time basis right now because I want to continue to be able to learn and, um, you know, I do my podcast and, mm-hmm. and do other things that, um, in order to provide information to a broader audience. So, yeah. but, but yeah, the imposter syndrome thing is really challenging. And when I fir- first heard the words for it, it was kind of like when I first heard the words for Ehlers-Danlos and I went, ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think so many people experience that because, for me, even I thought that you just think that these thoughts are just like in your head because they're true. Like you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. And I don't think we realize that they're just in everyone's heads and we all listen to them to some, to a greater or lesser extent. And I think that is really helpful because once you realize that these are just thoughts that everybody has, they don't feel so personal. And I think it's a little bit easier to under overcome. Right. One thing I want to highlight that you said, which I think is really really um, impactful is the focus on others and how, and that helped you to kind of do something that you were scared to do, because I think that's really powerful. And especially for physicians where we're kind of so focused on caring for others, our patients, our families, et cetera, that I find as well, when I kind of spiral into this whole, like, you know, self-deprecation world. If I step out for a second and say like, there's probably, there's people out there who need my help and they don't need me to be perfect. That stops that um, negative self-talk and helps me to just focus on giving and my service to others. So I think that's incredible that that seemed to be the same kind of thing for you too. Yes, definitely. And I teach at a a medical school Mm -hmm. and the, the medical students that I, that I work with, definitely seem to have some of those same sentiments and, and yeah. anxiety. You know, you can get a lot of anxiety over, I need to be perfect. I need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right. Our patients don't need us to be perfect. There is no such thing as mm-hmm. perfection. Of course, we will cut 10 years from now. You know, I'm sure we're going to have very different ideas about a lot of the things that we, you know, view at this, at this point. So that's, that's exactly right. It's, it, that's a great succinct way to, to say it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, over the years with all the different, um, it, how you've experienced imposter syndrome, are there anything that's, is there anything that sticks out as far as that's helped you the most to kind of overcome those, those feelings of imposter syndrome? I'm trying to think because I feel like I have a politically correct answer and a not politically correct answer. <laughs> feel free to provide oh, both. <laughs> okay. Okay. The non-politically correct answer. You know, the saying, what would Jesus do? Yeah. I feel like I could just say to myself, what would a man do? Yeah. And, which, which sounds horrible, but but um, I know from, again, my husband is a physician. I've worked in the operating room my entire life. So I've worked with a lot of male physicians and- they, they do. They just approach things differently for better yeah. or for worse. We're very, very different in how mm -hmm. we, um, you know, how we handle the words that we say and, you know, saying things like, I don't know, you know, I know patients appreciate, it's funny because they say that they appreciate that. And I think they genuinely do, but at the same time, it is a risk because sometimes they're like, well, mm -hmm. what do you mean you don't know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like I see people say, just say you don't know, but then I'll also see things like they didn't know. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, yeah. so that's the non-PC answer. Um, the the PC answer would be that, you know, I think, like you said earlier, really focusing on the greater good. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I can think of one patient in particular that ended up actually, um, we, we're not sure if she committed suicide or if, if she... It kind of some, there were some self-harm along the way that kind of led to a spiral and she passed away mm -hmm. in her like early thirties with Ehlers-Danlos and Ehlers-Danlos has some travelers and comorbid conditions that come along with it that can be very impactful in terms of um, not just anxiety, but other like psychologic mm -hmm. features. And, um, and she was having like psychosis and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And, and she had some real harm done to her by some doctors who, said some things mm -hmm. that were, um, you know, cause we get a lot of doubters. Mm -hmm. People with EDS get a lot of doubters and some people can, we don't realize, I think as physicians, how powerful the words are that we say. Yeah. And I've had, I've had physicians say things to me that made me doubt myself tremendously and, and absolutely just fed into that imposter syndrome. Mm -hmm. um, and so also a lot of counseling helps, <laughs> you yeah. know, to, to realize yeah. that, yeah, which have, have an objective person that can say, well, what about help you challenge your own beliefs, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that that when I think about her and I think about how could I have helped her if I had opened my practice, the timing just didn't work out, but if I had opened my practice sooner, there are people like her though. And I, mm -hmm. know, and I know of someone else who, I mean, this one, they did commit suicide, who had severe mast cell activation syndrome, happens to be someone that I know very well, her sister. And... Um, absolutely tragic. And she, she, she also had, I'm sure she was postpartum as well, I mm. believe. But anyway, um, so I think about people like that. And I think I, I know that I'm providing much more help than what is currently out there for, yeah. for people. So at least I can tell myself that even though I don't know everything, which mm -hmm. that does still bother me. Yeah, <laughs> It does still really frustrate me. I really had to reconcile before I opened my practice. And, you know, and even now I really had to reconcile the fact that no one of us can know more than a slice of the pie. 
right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. there's no way medicine has expanded, the amount of information and knowledge in medicine has expanded so rapidly, so vast <laughs> that, you know, even if you're, you know, a retinal specialist, it's like, is it, do you specialize in the right retina or the left retina? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, yeah. 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 And I, I think that we're not meant to practice medicine in a vacuum. And for some reason, some sometime along the way, I think that we got the wrong message there. Like you have to know everything and do it all your, on your own. But there's tremendous power and really good care when you collaborate with other physicians and other specialties or other non-physician specialties. And I think that once you can realize like, this is what I'm good at and this is where I this is where someone else can really shine and collaborating. That's when you're doing the best thing for your patient, not when you're trying to read every book that there is to know, because like you said, that's a, that's a never ending journey. But if you can instead focus on collaborating with others to kind of, to, to, to strengthen the knowledge base that you can give your patients, that's where the power is, I think. Yes. Yes. I definitely agree. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that I think has been so exciting for me, having spent most of my life in the operating room where you're, you're fairly isolated. I mean, Mm -hmm. you spend most of the day either in a room by yourself, or if you're supervising nurse anesthetists, then, you know, you're, you're, you're walking between ORs, you know, and, and I was pretty quiet. And um, there was a period where I was I would say suffered from imposter syndrome quite severely. I mean, I'd lost a lot of weight and was very, um, yeah, my confidence was really not good at all. And so I would say like nothing, the entire case, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't talk to anyone in the room. I just kind of sat there and did my, you know, did my own thing. And I, and I know now looking back, I was still really good at what I did, but I was just kind of experiencing a lot of, uh, you know, my own challenges with, with, um, with my health as well. But anyway, the, I think that what you're saying is so incredibly powerful because now I, I cannot believe how people do collaborate. And mm-hmm. I've reached out to all kinds of people that I'm surprised to hear back from them. And they're like, Oh, sure. I'll chat on the phone yeah. or, you know, you, you know, we can run cases by each other, right. De-identified of course, but right. I can shoot an email to someone and say, Hey, I have this patient, blah, blah, blah. Do you have any ideas? You know, so it's, mm-hmm. um, it's wonderful that we can do that, that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so the last question, I think you're probably giving medical students advice all the time, but what, what would you tell a medical student or a young resident who may be in an ex- environment like, like you were and are feeling those, that burden of imposter syndrome? I think the number one thing that I would say is to um, get help. And, and if, if you, if you're really, really experiencing yeah. imposter syndrome, like, like, you know, I think this is, fa- this is fantastic. Listening to this, I think can be very, very powerful. And probably for a, a very large number of people, mm-hmm. this will help them to get, get more confidence and really, you know, be able to overcome. I think one of your episodes that I listened to, one of the guests was talking about, it's kind of a lifelong mm-hmm. or it yeah. can be a lifelong for thing. Sure which I think is probably very true. Um, I think it's like most things, probably we experience it in different degrees over mm-hmm. the course of our career. But if you're really, really in a situation like, like I was, you, you really need someone you know, else to, to yeah. help you, I think, you know, get out of that. So obviously that's not just imposter syndrome. That's a lot, there's a lot of other yeah. layers to that too. But I think a lot of those things can travel together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that 
I think being aware of it, knowing that it has a name is so hugely powerful because it's like when I first heard about allodynia, which mm-hmm. for those people who don't know what allodynia is, that's when something that is not normally painful is painful. And people that have Ehlers-Danlos syndromes um, very, very often have sensitization of their nervous system and they have allodynia. Mm-hmm. Well, when I realized there's a name for it, it validates it in a way yeah. that's so different. So having having the name imposter syndrome is very validating. This podcast is fantastic. I love what you're doing. I think it's really, really, really powerful because you can reach so many people. Thank you. And and medical students, oh, you're very welcome. It really is. It really is. And and medical students and residents, they they are going to go through periods of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is a natural part of the process, yeah. right? And, and you're being tested all the time and being evaluated all the time. And so you know that you, know, you, you want to do the best possible job, but again, there's no such thing as being perfect. So I guess that's right. the other thing I would say is remember that there's no such thing as being perfect. And, I would, I'll, and the last thing I would say is remember what you said earlier about, again, men can definitely suffer from this, but- in general, men men being ten percent confident mm-hmm. and then saying making a statement, and and women or people with imposter syndrome, they need to be one hundred and ten percent confident before they're going to say something. And we live in an era where you know there's there's a lot of people that that are very bold in what they the statements yeah. that they make and and everything. So it's it's a challenging thing for sure. Yeah, that's great. All great advice. I second the get help. I think that, you know, that's another thing I feel really strongly about is destigmatizing this mental health, especially for physicians, because we're human beings. So for sure, get help. And also maybe just like lower your, like, maybe you only need to be like 70% sure about something like work, work your way down. You know, you're not going to go to feeling 110% confident to 10% confident before speaking out, but maybe like lower it like 90%, 70% (laughs) that might help you over time (laughs) to speak up more. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and, and that whole, um, I I know you mentioned Martin Seligman's book in one of your other episodes. I love that book. When I heard you talking about that, I was like, yes, I love that book. And in that book, they talk about challenging your beliefs. We all have automatic mm-hmm. negative thoughts, right? Yes. And I think that as, again, there's just differences in the male brain and the female brain, right? We know mm-hmm. that for a fact. Not, not all males function with a male brain and not all females function with a female brain. But in general, there tend to be, you know, mm-hmm. more uh, females that think one way, more males that think the other way. But anyway, um, I think that the other thing is to realize that we have automatic negative thoughts that just are going to pop into our head. And when we get those thoughts, challenge those beliefs and be like, is it really true? Mm -hmm. Recognize I just had this thought, but is that really a true thought? Because that's the other thing is I think I didn't realize for a long, long time that you don't have to believe everything that you think. Yeah. I like just learned that like four seconds ago. So it's, it's something that we just don't learn. Um, no. But it really, really makes it a huge difference. Yeah. I think we should repeat that. You don't have to believe everything that you think. You are not your thoughts. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, that's, that should be that's, every, everyone's motto, I think. Yeah. It's a very, very important lesson, really. Yeah. And I didn't learn that until I was well into adulthood too. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. And I look forward to hearing more uh, about what you're doing in the future. Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me. And I'm so thrilled with what you're doing. I think imposter syndrome, especially in physicians, is such an important 
thing, an important topic to address. So I love yeah. what you're doing. I think Thank it's really you. great. Thank you so much. One more thing before you go. I wanted to tell you about the amazing course I just put together and is available now and live at the lowest price I'll ever offer it. And it is all about how to coach yourself. So if you have been considering getting a coach, haven't been able to commit, worried about the financial investment, or just not quite sure if it's the right thing for you yet, then self-coaching is a really, really good place to start. It's exactly where I started my journey to becoming the confident and fulfilled physician that I am today and living with intention and living, living with purpose. For the past two years, have been working on material that I could offer other women to help them to get to where I am because there's nothing special about me. Anyone can feel this way with the proper tools and that's what self-coaching provides. So it is an in-depth and complete look into self-coaching, including what it is, why it's so important, all the tools that you need to know about self-coaching, and even a special module designed just to help you to solve your biggest everyday problems, including imposter syndrome, which so many of us struggle with. It also includes access to the private Facebook group where you can ask questions or seek support. And the part I'm most excited about is the opportunity to hop on group coaching calls every month where we can talk about specific problems that you're having. It's a safe environment where I can give you some personalized help and support as you go along this course and well beyond. Check out the link in the show notes page for this one-of-a-kind self-coaching course. It's designed mostly geared towards physician women or professional women who are struggling in their day-to-day life with a feeling of lack of confidence, feeling like an imposter, feeling like you're going through life reacting to everybody else's problems and no real direction for where your own life is going. I can help you get there and self-coaching is the way to do it.